Welcome to Funding the Dream, a Game Whisper podcast for Kickstarters. I'm Richard Bliss, the Game Whisper, and the host of Funding the Dream. And today my guests are two guests who have been on the show before, who just came off a spectacularly successful Kickstarter project. Um, and I have Phil Kilcrease from Fifth Street Games. And Hello. Gra- and Grant Rodick, who uh, is the designer and creator of Farmageddon. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Happy. Oyo. Happy, happy. You want to, uh, okay. You, you want to try that again? You want to do another introduction to say, hey, we're happy to be here? Oh, yeah, sure. sure. Uh, <laughs> I'll just, I will just we're leave. to trip over each other, I guess. Here we go. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hi, Hello. There you go. I got two of you on, so, to, and two different areas, so a little bit more of excitement there. So, Farmageddon ended recently. We said that we would come back and talk about it, and you guys ended up at uh, what was your goal? What you, your goal, and what'd you guys end up at? We our goal was five thousand, and we ended at twenty five thousand two hundred and seventy four dollars. No, that, not bad at all. You know, if somebody gave me twenty five thousand dollars, I wouldn't give it back. How sweet <laughs> is that? And what's unusual? Really, really good. Well, what's unusual is is that you guys did this. At what I would consider a uh, a pretty low funding uh, engine, I, how do I say this? You didn't have a lot of big ticket funding. I think your top tier was ninety dollars. So you did this with a lot of backers, didn't you? Oh yes, and people that I I know locally who backed it, uh, or I ran into at Gamma said. Yeah, I backed it, but it's just one copy, no big deal. And I had to correct them, like, no, you. every small bit helped. This is like the bricks of the Great Wall of China kind of thing. Every every piece contributed to that. It wasn't one or two really big backers. Well, and I know, uh, yeah, from a backer standpoint, you were up there, uh, 12, over 1,200 backers, which is an incredible number. On Kickstarter, well, I guess it was an incredible number. Well, it's still a big number, um, but we're starting to see these projects get bigger and bigger. Do you guys think you benefited from uh, a lot of the excitement that's happening in other spaces on Kickstarter, things like Double Fine and some of these other vendors that are having so much success with their Kickstarter projects? Honestly, I think absolutely. I mean, Farmageddon was up three or four days or five days. I think we were already funded by the time Double Fine launched, and then Double Fine launched, and if you loaded into the game section – you know, Farmageddon and Double Fine were both staff picks. Um, they were both popular this week fairly frequently. So people would load into that page. They would see Double Fine's game. And then they would see Farmageddon, which has outstanding art, was over 100% funding. And so they'd click on our icon and be like, well, hell, $12. I mean, it's it's hard to not take a risk on something that's only $12 and has art that looks as good as Farmageddon's. And you, and it's interesting because Kickstarter will tell you how many of your backers came from that staff picks page, and so those are some of the stats that you're able to look at. So that's interesting that uh, that you got a bump there. You also had an unusual, and it's not a, a extremely unusual, high number of comments. You had over 500 comments on your project. Which, and if we look at, uh, I think, uh, Grant, you were the one that said it. If you look at other projects with 1,200 backers, you know, that we're looking to 30, 40 comments. You guys have 500 comments. What was going on there? We just uh, had well, a lot of enthusiasm. Um, Grant, Grant was in the comments area, um, keeping people posted on uh, updates of what was going on, answering questions and such. Me a little less frequently. I was primarily in the update area. Uh, doing the big picture stuff. Uh, but it was 
you'd see people would have questions about like what we were doing or um, we had a lot of questions about when we were going to announce the next stretch goal. And it's, it's funny because Phil and I were leapfrogging between, you know, day jobs and other stuff we have to take care of. And so we would just sort of take shifts almost to comment and, and keep people up to date. And personally for me, you know, I have pretty strict PR guidelines on what I can and can't say at my professional job. So being able to be completely open and just, say everything, you know, obviously within reason for our Kickstarter backers was uh, really satisfying. And also they seem to, you know, appreciate, you know, Phil and I's honesty and just how often we tried to talk to them. Yeah, it seemed to have uh, resonated well with your backers because you had backers at all pledge levels, uh, even, you know, your high end level, you know, 10 backers, so almost $1,000 there. And then uh, you had at your $12 pledge level, which was this kind of the sweet spot where you could get the game for an incredibly low price, and you know, had 855 backers. So these people were, were pouring in the money to help you realize this dream. And your goal was $5,000, and you know, everybody has kind of a, a goal in mind, but you guys hit that $5,000 almost out of the gate, right? How long did it take you to hit your $5,000? I think it was like, three or four days. It wasn't very long at all. Um, yeah, it was, I think it's about right. What, uh, why? I mean, uh, why do you think you guys reached a goal so fast? Because our listeners, think about it, our listeners are wondering, okay, I've got a card game. I've, I, I'm going to put it out there. How fast should I expect to see my game fund? What would they have to do? What, it, what advice can you give them that you did to help them launch that. So what do you think contributed to your rapid success of hitting your funding goal? I, I'll take this one. Grant, <laughs> okay, go ahead, Grant. So Phil and I have an active presence on Twitter. I've got, I think, like 500 backers. Phil, you have a couple hundred, I think. Um, we, we engage with the community. We talk to them. We had several reviews ready to go either really early or um, not long after we launched. We had you know, a podcast with you. Um, we were able to post rules. We had a nice quick video that explained how the game is played and shows off the art. Um, we were just really ready to go and had, I just think, competence with the project that, like, we just showed, like, look, here's the product. We're confident in it. Here's some really easy to uh, see information. And hey, it's $12. And I mean, it's hard to, I don't know. I just, I just think that it just, it just, it's a nice setup professionalism that I think people, uh, responded to. Phil, anything uh, to add to that? Uh, yeah. Um, also, there there was already this known presence about Farmageddon, just from Grant uh, essentially going Karate Kid on it, wax on, wax off, just refining it, getting out, getting it out to people who, or any anyone who would look at it, um, and there was just kind of this. You could almost hear it if you were part of the Twitter feed or on BoardGameGeek or these other sites. Farmageddon was just known. It was a known entity. Um, and that kind of just resonated instantly the first couple of days, and we jumped to uh, like $2,000 super quick. Um, and then it just picked up from there at, once we hit the, the staff picks page on top of it. So... It was those two things combined. Anything catch you by surprise as you launched this and saw it to jump other than how quickly it funded? Anything else that uh, kind of you uh, that you weren't quite expecting? Uh, do you want to go first, Phil? Uh, yeah. Um, 
for one, as we talked about, just the sheer sheer number of comments and just the the super super supportive fan base um, that has developed around Grant's game. Um, people just fell in love with the artwork. We we were expecting that, but just not to the degree of it uh, that it occurred. Um, so yeah, Aaron Fusco and Brett Bean just knocked it out of the park, and it shows. Um, and now. As, as a side note, people – I work at a game store, and people have come in not knowing who I am and that I'm the publisher of Farmageddon. Is Farmageddon out yet? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I can sign a copy if you want. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that, that I think that's the biggest thing that took me by surprise, just how dedicated people were to the idea of Farmageddon and – um, we're working hard to live up to that dedication. Because this was your third Kickstarter project, right? Yep, with um, <clears throat> the first two successfully funding as well, uh, but not not to this level of success. So, Grant, how about you? Anything uh, catch you by surprise? Because uh, this was your first project. I'm, uh, I think that you got to think that you weren't going into this with inc- – you know, a lot of experience of knowing what was going to happen. Was there something just like, wow, I did not see that coming? Uh, yeah, I guess it's just that we, one thing is just that we hit $25,000 with a, like a $12 game. Um, I I remember when I was at some point thinking about doing a Kickstarter project myself without a publisher. And I was like, man, if I can get 200 backers, I think this will work. Um, and that was like my, that was what I was just hoping I could get 200 backers. Um but I think the thing that really surprised me, and I guess it shouldn't, um, you know, I pay attention to Kickstarter. I've been in the game industry for a few years on the digital side. But the um, some of our backers' just desire for exclusives was a bit um, surprising to me. Um, just like how it almost seemed like if something was that was an exclusive, it, it therefore had more value than something that I would deem to be more valuable that was not exclusive. Um, for example, and for some people, it seemed like a exclusive t-shirt or even sticker would be more valuable than a full expansion that's not exclusive to everybody. Um, I guess I'm a little surprised by that. Interesting. I think that probably taps in a little bit about what we find about the Kickstarter community, and that is that it is a community and there's a, a, a sense of inclusion and exclusion that I want to be identified as a backer of this project in some way, shape, or form, whether it's a likeness, my name on the, the box or the rules, uh, whether I get something so that I can I can set myself apart as saying I I participated in this and I can show that participation in a unique way. So I think that's a, a key component, and you're probably right, that it sometimes we forget that it's not just a pre-ordering system, that Kickstarter is more about this community of inclusion with a project and people want to emotionally connect to that. So that's, that's an interesting point. The, uh, speaking of the expansion, uh, the expansion, tell me about, you know, kind of where that came from and kind of the process that you're going to bring that expansion out. Because I think one of the challenges that people are faced with success like this is coming up with stretch goals and often an expansion is a stretch goal. So tell me about that process a little bit. Sure. Um, we had ideas going for an expansion, um, but it was one of the things that we didn't want to, um, insert farming metaphor, count our chickens or whatever before they hatched. Um, you know, we need to make sure the base game was good, but as it became clear that we might hit um, a number that would make a, an expansion financially viable at this early point in the product's life cycle, um, we decided to talk about it seriously. And Phil and I came up with that there are basically two 
areas, both thematically and mechanically, that 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 would fill a hole in Farmageddon. And one was, you know, animals, ranching, things like that. It's it's a natural um, thematic expansion to something that's mostly crop driven. And secondly, um, a lot of the crops in Farmageddon are just very soft. I guess they're soft targets. They could be stolen and destroyed and, and manipulated. And we wanted something that had a bit more permanence to it so that you had a, a good combination of long-term strategic choices with short-term tactical choices. So that's sort of the basis for the expansion. And Phil and I both have a printed out prototype that we've been playing and tweaking. And um, after you know a bit of design work, we had, I think, three or four iterations of the rules and stuff like that before we actually printed the prototype out. And um, at this stage, it seems like the foundation is solid. Um, I believe that we will ultimately ship with most of the systems that we've designed for this expansion. Um, the content's a bit shaky, and there's a lot of tuning that we need to do. But what was good about the first test is that we were actually able to play a full game. Like, it didn't break down and get to the point where we just called it. And we had really clear like solutions for the problems. It wasn't like it was like, oh, obviously, if I were to do this based on the play test, this will make it better. And so we'll have to see how much of that actually sticks. But um, it's been it's been going better than I would expect so far. And maybe that's just a sign of the fact that, you know, we do have a, a nice solid game that we can expand upon in designing the expansion is hopefully easier than starting from scratch for a whole new game. Phil, any comment to that? Uh, yeah, the uh, he or Grant's covered uh, a fair a fair bit of it. Um, I think the biggest thing is uh, we that there's already a solid game. That that's the biggest thing. So it's um, going to be a it, the play testing will go faster. Not to say that it'll be ready tomorrow, but uh, the the iterations are are going to move more quickly. So we'll be able to get that polish. All right, so so I I think if I, if a listener is driving in their car, what they just heard was it'll be available tomorrow. Is that what we just heard? Ah, uh, no, it <laughs> definitely not. Um, it won't so. be available tomorrow. Oh, okay, just small correction on that. Just to make sure somebody who wasn't driving, just uh, and a big Farmageddon fan, didn't drive off the road there as they're listening. Gotcha. All right, so uh, and that's good to know because sometimes you know you don't want to feel that you got something rushed out there. So you guys are taking your time on this to make sure that it's something of quality at the same quality level of the original game that they you put out. Yeah, I mean, people gave us twenty five thousand dollars, so I think we owe that to them. And you know, we want to have um, the same fantastic art, um, you know, same quick pace, you know, all those things that made the first game you know really enjoyable and you know a great value one one thing i want to note about the stretch goals is that for farmageddon because it's entirely cards it was really difficult to add some of the stretch goals that you see in a lot of games that do you know upgraded components you know customized meeples instead of just standard wooden blocks and um you know better chips and things like that and for us it was really we, we can't just like we you know one guy suggested we do the cadillac version and we're like we're only making the cadillac version like you're going to get linen cards in a nice box like uh we we can't upgrade it too much further from here and so the expansion was really one of our only options. Okay. Mm -hmm. It makes yeah, it and, does make it a challenge. How about customization? Did you guys do I didn't look. Did you guys do any customization on this for back? Um we we didn't. Uh we, we toyed around with it uh as like possibly uh custom artwork for a poster or something. But none none of those ideas shook out. Um and the artwork in terms of the the crops and such were were already set. 
so there there wasn't really any opportunities for name, name a crop or um, have have your face appear in the game uh, since everything was pretty well done. Right. Uh, and there aren't really any people in the game either, uh, save like the far, evil Farm Futures guy. So. Yeah, I guess I, I I wouldn't necessarily want my face on the on a, on a cucumber or something. So I guess that that makes that makes sense. Grant, One of the we go did ahead. Do is we we had like a we we worked with Brett to um, who's the artist or one of the two artists. Um, Brett do the, through this beautiful cover for the game, and we did get it so that some of the backers who backed at a, a high level will get a beautiful linen big full poster print of the cover that'll be signed by Brett, and then they'll get a copy of the game signed by me, and I'll write them a personal note. So um, we did a little bit of that, but there's not a lot of game customization. Yeah, and uh, from now as I talk to so many uh, Kickstarter projects, customization is actually very – it's very hard to do. It's a nice idea, but the financial backing that you get from a few uh, customized backers and the work that's required and the delay in shipping and everything, it makes it really tough. So I, I can understand why you would go with a different direction with that. One, for example, like if we were to do a custom art for the farm futures, instead of one piece of art that only Brett and I have to approve, we now have to get photo reference from the backer. We have to have Brett draw it. We have to get the backer's approval because they gave us X hundred dollars to do this. So now we have to get their approval, and then it has to meet our approval. And it's just you're adding a lot more layers to the approval process that just it's not necessarily cost effective, and it doesn't necessarily really improve the game. And by the time we're done going through the process, the packer might regret the fact that they gave us that much money to go through such a, they might find out how miserable game development can be sometimes. Right. Right. All right. Well, uh, so as we wrap up here, are we going to see anything? I mean, Grant, you took a long time to bring this game out uh, to make sure it was perfect. Are we going to see another one come from, uh, from you and uh, game design? So uh, livestock and loaded, the Farmageddon expansion is, my top priority because I have uh, money against it from the backers. You know, we need to satisfy that customer demand. Um, I have a game that's been in development for a long time since back in the fall. It's called Poor Abbey Farnsworth, and it is a uh, sort of deck building area control game based upon the Salem witch trials, with Poor Abbey being the witch who's been accused. Um, it's a two or four player game, and I'm actually probably about to move beyond index cards to actually create myself a nice prototype with you know, good iconography and whatnot. So that's that's really been coming along well, and uh, Phil's been reading the rules and stuff like that, so we'll see if he wants to sign me another big contract. Hey, that'll work. And then, Phil, what do you? Uh, what, what should we see coming from Fifth Street Games? Uh, well, um, any, I'll... Any, I'll uh, anything you can talk you, about. Yeah, well, there's... We do have a fourth game lined up, um, <clears throat> and we should be getting details on that pretty soon. Uh with the um well how about a uh a w- would you like an exclusive oh yeah i'll take an exclusive <laughs> this is all right lit up. <laughs> yeah I, I i i could feel that through the phone lines the name of the game uh, that our fourth our fourth title for fifth street games is called my happy farm it is a game by a ukrainian designer where you are Feeding animals to make them happy. If you don't feed them, they'll stay sad, and then they'll leave you and you lose points. The, tr- the twist is as you feed them, they grow longer and longer and longer. Uh, you, you put the belly in the middle of the, the animal for, between the head and the tail. 
So you'll end up with like this cow that is seven cards long. And at the end of the game, you'll get a bonus for having the longest cow or the longest pig. And it is incredibly charming, really cute. Um, Alf, Alf Seeger, the designer of Road Canterbury and Valhalla and such, introduced me to it thinking it might be a good fit for history and it, I, I think it is. Oh, fun. Oh, fun. And so, and I assume you'll, really cool. I'll assume you'll kickstart that. Uh, yes, we'll be, um, we're, we're going to be working with that later in, in the year. So great. Yeah. We will, we will be looking forward to that. Gentlemen, thank you for being on the show. This has been fun to thank watch, you, you know, have you here before you launched and now to uh, watch your success and have you back. Yeah. Thanks for having us again. Absolutely. Our pleasure. You have been listening to Funding the Dream, a Game Whisperer podcast for Kickstarters. My guests today have been Phil Kilcrease of uh, Fifth Street Games and Grant Rodeak, the designer and creator of very successful Farmageddon. And hopefully you've heard something that will inspire you and cause you to take the steps necessary to get your project out there so that you can fund your dream. We're looking forward to seeing it. Thank you for listening. Take care.